Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello and welcome back everyone to our Bible study as we continue looking at this wonderful and powerful and delightful epistle that Paul wrote to the Philippians. If you're able to have a Bible with you, then turn over to chapter 1. We'll pick up where we left off the week before. When I listen to podcasts, I'm usually doing my walking or riding in a car. And so I will have the scripture that I'll read to you. So if you don't have a Bible, you can still follow along. But for those of you who have a Bible, as you're turning to chapter 1, then we'll pick up the story in about verse number 19. I want to tell you, first of all, how surprised and delighted that I've been almost everywhere I've gone at comments that people have shared with me about the book that Katrina and I worked on together some years ago. The book was called The Strength You Need. During her illness, she and I both needed extra strength very often, and so we did a study of the passages in the Bible that talks about the strength that God gives us. And I wrote the chapters, but she wrote the ending to every chapter and the conclusion of the book. I noticed the other day on Amazon, this book has gotten 245 five-star reviews, and I'm very grateful for that. So if you've not read it, think about picking up a copy, The Strength You Need. If you have read it, then think about giving a copy to somebody else. Do you know that reading is a great way to minister to yourself and to others as well? Well, speaking of reading, I wonder if you have read any good self-help books recently. These are books that just tell us how to do better in the various areas of life, how to worry less or how to have a better attitude or more success or how to develop better habits or how to break bad habits. Some of these books can be very helpful. One of the fathers of the self-help literature in the United States is a man named Orison Sweat Martin. I recently came across his writings, and his life story was remarkable. He was an orphan who lost everything and was just as low as a human being could be, but in an, an attic, in an attic somewhere. He found an encouraging book. It wasn't the Bible, but it was a book of encouraging thoughts, and that book changed his life. And out of that, he himself began writing encouraging self-help books. He wrote over 50 of them. And he was really one of the most popular authors in the early 20th century. I'm sort of amazed that I'm just now coming to know about him. In 1916, Martin wrote a book entitled Everybody Ahead, subtitled Getting the Most Out of Life. And one of his chapters was Choose a Life Motto. Here's what he said. The influence of an uplifting, energizing motto kept constantly in the mind is invaluable. 
Multitudes of men and women owed their success in life to the daily inspiration of such a motto. Who can estimate the value of a high ideal crystallized in one uplifting sentence constantly held in mind? He said a life slogan which embodies your aim, stirs your ambition, and tends to arouse your latent potencies will be worth infinitely more to you than an inherited fortune. Well, Martin gave some examples of men and women whose lives had been shaped by the life slogan that they chose. Beethoven reportedly lived by the maxim, genius is 2% talent and 98% application. John Ruskin had a one-word life motto. It was just the word, today. Well, as I read all of this, I thought back to my college yearbook. The school that I attended, Columbia International University, asked all of us graduating seniors to select a life verse to put under our picture and our name in the yearbook. Many of the students had a life verse there, but I couldn't think of a verse that I wanted to choose because I had so many verses that I liked. And I finally asked them if I could skip the life verse and just submit a life motto instead. And they said that was all right. And so if you ever pick up a 1974 yearbook from my alma mater, you'll find my picture and name in the senior class pages. And underneath my name are the words, the will of God, nothing more, nothing less. That was my life motto, and I've really sought to live by it. And I've wondered, after I read Martin's book, how many people today have a life verse or a life motto? Well, I like mine pretty well, but there's a better one, one that I'll suggest to you. It is the best life slogan that I've ever heard. It meets any occasion. It fits any circumstance. It's only a dozen words, and all of them are only one syllable each. Twelve words, twelve syllables, but it encompasses anything and everything to which we could aspire, to, to which we could ever aspire. And here it is. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that is a verse of scripture. So it could be your life verse or your life motto. It's really possibly both, but it belonged originally to the Apostle Paul. It summarized his philosophy and all of his thoughts and actions. It summarized all of his aspirations and ambitions. So today in our study through Philippians, we're coming to this wonderful verse and really to this entire section of Scripture that begins with verse number 19 and goes through verse number 26. So let me read it for you. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Well, that's the passage. We'll drill into this both today and next week. If you've been following these studies so far, you already know the background of the passage. The closest verses that we have to providing a setting to this passage are the two final verses in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It says at the very end of Acts 28, For two whole years Paul stayed in Rome in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, Paul was at that time under house arrest. He was awaiting his legal hearings before the court of the Roman emperor Nero concerning charges that had been made nearly five years before in Jerusalem. The last several chapters of Acts give us this story. Paul had gone to Jerusalem. He had been arrested there. The Jewish Sanhedrin had made charges against him before the Roman tribunal. Paul had been taken to Caesarea. He was there for two years. He went on the uh, ship that wrecked at sea. He finally ended up in Rome, and he was there in, uh, in his own rented house, but under uh, chains and, and the Roman guard for two years. And so he was writing here to the Philippians, telling them what was going on in his life and saying that his trial was coming up very, very shortly. And he says here in verse 19 that I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed as he stands before this tribunal of Rome, as he stands and faces his accuser, or as he tries to navigate the Roman legal system. He says, I expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, notice those two words, expect and hope. I expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. They are basically synonyms and they reflect certainty. As one commentator said, the word hope in the Bible is full of content in the sense that it reflects the highest degree of certainty about the future. In other words, when the Bible talks about hope, it refers to expectation. Paul said, I hope and I expect. It's not a preference involving something that may or may not happen, but a total expectation and anticipation of something that will surely happen. Paul was certain, absolutely certain, that God would give him sufficient courage regardless of the twists and turns of his legal turmoil. Now, think of this. Try to put yourself in the picture. Paul was about to be placed in a new situation, a threatening one, which he had never before experienced. Have you ever been in a situation like that? In his case, he was about to stand in a Roman courtroom in the city of Rome during the days of the young volatile emperor Nero, and he was going to be called to account on account of his Christian faith. And he was telling the Philippians, I do not expect for one moment to fall apart or to have a spiritual breakdown or to deny the faith. I expect God 
to give me sufficient courage so that whatever happens, I will exalt Christ, whether I am set free or whether I am executed. So that is Paul's circumstances and his mindset. We've got to have the same kind of expectation and hope and confidence in Christ. And it says that Paul here was saying, I am certain that I will have, look at this phrase, sufficient courage. I like those two words. It doesn't mean that Paul expected to have no anxious moments or troublesome questions, but he was certain that in the middle of the ancient moments and troublesome questions, God would give him sufficient courage. The Lord will always give you sufficient courage for whatever you are facing in his will. I recall many times in my life when I believe I would have collapsed if God had not given me sufficient courage. One of my first recollections was when an elementary schoolmate named Gerald said that he was going to come to my house and beat me up. Well, I had never experienced bullying before, and for two or three days, I was scared to death. But one day, I told him in class, I said, you come ahead. And so he came to my house, and I went out to meet him, and I lunged into him and grabbed him around the waist and hauled him to the ground, and we wrestled around for a little bit, and nothing much came of it. I knew that if we got into a fist fight, I'd be in trouble because I really had never done anything with my fists before, but I did know how to wrestle, and I was back then what they called husky, and I had more weight than he did. So I lunged into him, and we wrestled around, and, you know, that was the last time I had any trouble with Gerald. From that point on, we were sort of friends, but even back then, I think the Lord was giving me sufficient courage. But since then, I've had many moments when I've wrestled with anxious fear. But looking back, God has somehow always given me sufficient courage to go into those difficult meetings or to go into that ICU in the hospital wing or to stand before that crowd that maybe had some hostility towards it. Many times I've been frightened. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, but the Lord knows how to give us sufficient courage. He will give all who trust in Him sufficient courage when the time comes for us to face any challenge, including the moment when He calls us to heaven, whether by life or by death. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Then look at this phrase. He said, I am certain that Christ will give me sufficient courage so that he will be exalted whatever happens, whether by life or by death. The Apostle Paul knew that he had two options before him, living or dying. And the same is true for you and me. Tomorrow, we will either be living or dying. We don't know which. Our lives are very fragile and uncertain. I just read about a young adult riding a bicycle in Staten Island, when a fishing boat rolled off of a trailer being pulled by a truck, slid over the highway, and struck her and killed her. Never in a million years did that young adult ever imagine that she would be killed by a fishing boat on a highway. Life is just very uncertain, and it was for the Apostle Paul. He did not know what would happen. He didn't have the prophetic insight to know how this trial would turn out. He was optimistic, but he wasn't certain. But he did know this, 
that whether he lived or died, whatever happened, he was determined that Christ would be exalted in his life. He said, read it again, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. When I was in college, there was a little song by Ray Hildebrand. I don't know if you have ever heard of him, but he was a pop singer who became one of the earliest writer of what we call today contemporary Christian music. So he had this little song, and I don't remember the song itself, but the chorus has stayed in my mind all of these years. It says, If I live, well, praise the Lord. If I die, well, praise the Lord. If I live or die, my only cry will be, Jesus in me, praise the Lord. Well, you know, when you come to this point in your thinking, in your life, in your submission and your attitude before Him, then you find that you are absolutely free to live with courage and confidence, whatever happens, because you are saying it really doesn't matter now what happens as long as Christ is exalted. You are repudiating the power of the circumstances of life to affect the core of your being. You are disallowing the situations you face to determine the attitude that you embrace. You are saying, whatever happens, it doesn't much matter really all that much as long as Christ is exalted in it all. I've studied for this examination, for this test, and I've done my best. And if I pass well, praise the Lord. If I fail, well, praise the Lord as long as he is exalted. I have worked hard for this promotion. I think I deserve it. If I get it, well, praise the Lord. If I don't, well, praise the Lord anyway. May he be exalted. I want my dear, my sainted mother to recover from her heart attack. If she does, well, praise the Lord. But if she doesn't, May Jesus Christ be praised anyway. I'm facing the imperial judge in Rome because of my faith in Christ. If I'm released, praise the Lord. If I'm taken out and executed in the Circus Maximus, well, praise the Lord. If I live or die, my only cry will be, Jesus in me, praise the Lord. That is exactly what Paul was saying. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. That's a very liberating attitude. The attitude of exalting Christ, whatever happens, has the power to weaken or destroy the grip of circumstance-based anxiety in life. And then Paul went on to say in verse 21, summing it all up, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, there is something about this text I want to tell you in the original Greek. As the original listeners heard this read in the original language, they would have heard the power of Paul's use of terse alliteration. Literally, the word Christ in the Greek is Christos, and the word gain is the word kerdos. 
So what Paul is saying here is to live, Christos, to die, Kerdos. It is that succinct in the Greek. To live, Christos, to die, Kerdos. That was his slogan. That was his life motto, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Some years ago, there was a student at San Marino High School in California. Her name was Karen Ruth Johnston. She was about to graduate in one of her final assignments. In fact, I think it was her final assignment in high school was to write a paper about her philosophy in life. So she wrote that paper, finished it on Thursday night, gave it to her teacher on Friday. And on Saturday, tragically, she was killed in a head-on automobile accident. This disaster set the tone for the class's graduation, as you can imagine. Her diploma was awarded posthumously. But her paper became very famous among her classmates and her loved ones. And I want to read you a little bit of what she wrote. It's titled, My Life Philosophy by Karen Ruth Johnson. She said, My philosophy in life is based on the Holy Bible and the God who wrote it. I know that he has a plan for my life, and through daily prayer and reading of his word, I will be able to see it. As far as my life work or life partner, I am leaving that in his hands. I feel that this philosophy is very practical and can be applied to everyday life. Every decision can be taken to the Lord in prayer, and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior is something many cannot understand. Many search for a purpose and a reason to live. I know that I am on this earth to have fellowship with God and to win others to the saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. I know that after death, I will go to be with Him forever. Jesus Christ teaches love and respect for everyone. In God's sight, no one person is more worthy than any other. Knowing and loving Jesus personally makes me want to please Him and accomplish things for His glory. Paul says in the New Testament, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And he says, for me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is my philosophy, she said, and yet it is not mine. I am God's, and whatever I have is His. I have faith that He is the only answer, and I do love Him so. And that was what she left as her legacy. For to me, to live, Christos, to die, Kurdos, to live as Christ, and to die as gain. And I hope you feel the same. Well, we'll pick up this study next week at this same point in Philippians chapter 1. And I want to thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me week after week. Please share this podcast with a friend. And remember to check out my book, The Strength You Need, wherever you purchase your reading or your listening materials. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing by Jared Brummett. Print editing and blog posting by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. Music is by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Look for the transcript of this podcast soon on the blog page at my website, 
robertjmorgan.com where you'll find many other resources. And thank you again for listening. May God be with you until we meet again.